BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the crime writers on after show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a local district attorney takes on one of the most important criminal cases in history. Will she indict a former president for election interference? We'll discuss Breakdown, the Trump grand jury from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, and new shorts-wearing guy, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. So I'm wearing shorts, yeah. But they're new. Well, they're new shorts. It's not new that I wear shorts. Oh. No. Yeah, that was that was my. Yeah, everybody thinks that I'm not Winnie the Pooh in it again. But you have to understand, I've been looking at the same shorts for like nine years. So seeing him in new oh. shorts is very exciting oh. for me. Got it. I thought he was afraid to show his shins in public or something. <laughs> what is? Um, tell me some details of the new shorts. They're khaki and they have anchors on them. They are very adorable. It's a nice little pattern. <laughs> They're a little bit waspy, which Kevin is not. Right. The Sounds shorts lovely. are, in fact. Hold on. Oh, I got to stand up. On oh, oh don't fall, Kevin. Oh, my God. Don't this fall. This is some good this... podcast oh, those material. Are so cute. Look at that. Are they adorable? Oh, those are very stylish. They're sort of a greenish khaki. Yeah. They have That's their love. Yeah. like a putty good. color. Yeah. They're ready, yeah. For wow. our, ready for our beach week at Plum Island. They seem to fit oh, well. I'm wearing my like pajama sundress here that looks like a big grain sack, but That's right. I love Kevin's shorts. You guys have to come out and check us out live on the beach. Maybe you'll see these shorts in person. It would be very exciting. I can't wait. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, an author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. How is the final push going in the publication of your next novel, Laura? Um, The final curtain is in the final throes of publication. It's out with the proofreader, which is like the last step. And she's quite meticulous. So we go over every single little comma. And it should be here like late September. Nice. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, can you tell us what is coming up on next Monday's podcast? Next Monday, we're going to be talking about the Apple TV series Blackbird. Mm. Blackbird is two words. There's also something that came out this year called Blackbird, and it's one word. So make sure you're watching the right thing. All right. Well, we have a big topic to talk about tonight, and I would like to get into it. Uh, But before we get into it, can I say something? Yeah. Can I say what Bill Rankin said? What? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to try to convince you whether or not the 2020 election was stolen, because you've already made up your mind about that. But I'm just going to say the 2020 election was not stolen. And with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip. Right now. And if you disagree, you can skip right ahead to Cats of the Week. <laughs> I think there are three of them. One's named Tushy or something like that. Let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. And you're going to find that they are, which is totally illegal. It's, it's, it's more illegal for you than it is for them because you know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal. That's a criminal offense. Did former President Trump break the law trying to influence Georgia election officials? That monumental legal question will be answered by County DA Fonnie Willis. While Congress and the Justice Department investigate a nationwide effort to overturn the election, Willis is probing whether state law was violated in her county. 
But I think it is also equally fundamentally important that the government make sure in a free society that people can vote and that is not infringed upon by anyone. But with the grand jury working behind closed doors, how can the public monitor its progress? As details trickle out, experts are weighing in on what actually happened and how it fits in to Georgia's racketeering and election influence laws. You know, people who are urging Fonnie Willis to indict want 12 people to decide this question? Randomly selected 12 people in Fulton County? Is, is that really the way we should decide what to do with the fate of, a, of an ex-president? Season nine of Breakdown, the Trump grand jury from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is a real-time report on the progress of the investigation. Hosts Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman cover what for them is a local story with national implications. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Breakdown season nine. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Of course, those are spoilers from the news is something that always (laughs) (laughs) I want to note. So, Kevin, this is a big challenge, this podcast, right? Because we're talking about something that is happening in secret. Yeah, right. That is a (laughs) a news gathering challenge. I'll say this, that as far as breakdown goes, this doesn't really fit, I think, in the breakdown oeuvre because breakdown is generally about stories in Georgia where the system fails. And the system here hasn't failed yet, (laughs) although it may. So while this is all really great, I don't know if they should have done this and and titled it something else. But Breakdown is about the most important legal cases in Georgia. So I guess it does belong here. But the problem is that, yeah, we have a lot of information to go on. There is a lot of journalism to push out. But at a certain point, it stops because so much is happening behind closed doors. Now, they've framed it as like, we'll come back when there's something to report. So long term, it'll be interesting to see if this holds the listener's interest, you know, if they're dark for a little while or people forget about it. Something big hits the news and they're like, oh, I got it down a breakdown. I hear more about this. I will tell you, I'm going to contradict you in one way. Yeah. Because breakdown does do one thing that it has always done very well. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about explaining how things work right. yep. inside the justice system. Agreed. Like every single season, and this was the thing I loved about season one and season two especially, it's like, this is how this trial is going to work. This is how this procedure works. Very, very detailed so that we understand why things could go one way or why, like the smallest details. What is this kind of hearing? What is this kind of, right? And that's what this is. And this is also about a potential breakdown too, because there are so many times where things, they are exposing the flaws in the system. Like, for instance, one of the things that shocked me to hear was that when you testify in front of the legislature in Georgia, you are not sworn an oath to tell the truth, right? Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) So, like, Rudy Giuliani testified in front of the legislature. No one was allowed to ask him any questions, and he lied. He lied, 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 and that's not a crime because he was not sworn an oath to tell the truth. So it's not enforceable in any way. Like no one can say. Except for your law license. But right, I agree. Right. Yeah, but yeah, nobody yeah. can say like, OK, let's get someone to arrest that guy because he lied under oath. He, there was no oath to lie under. Right. And then that testimony is sort of what led to passages of restricted voting laws where you could no longer hand out water to people in line to vote. Right. So it is showing flaws in the system. And I do think that fits in with the breakdown. Oeuvre, as you put yeah. It. Well, I mean, the other thing that fits in is the fact that, again, this is happening in Georgia and we have what I'm going to call hyper local reporting, because even though it is statewide reporting, even though it is county reporting, it is hyper local to me because of the depth of knowledge that this reporting team and this newsroom and this newspaper have. So this is a team that already has sources in place that has trust from their sources, that has an institutional knowledge of the state and how the state works. And I think that that brings another sort of layer of depth to this whole sense of reporting. And and I, I, I took one of the quotes that I loved. Um, with that trust comes willingness of people to be interviewed for this series. And so we have attorneys that are well-respected, attorneys in the state that are willing to sound in and give their opinions on what is happening. And one of my favorites was defense attorney, Don Samuel, who says there are all kinds of hurdles the prosecution would have to overcome with prosecuting an ex-president. 
It wouldn't surprise me if this ends up in the U.S. Supreme Court before it ever ends up in a courtroom. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what I appreciate is as somebody that has been reporting in the same territory for like 20 plus years, when you've been around that long, people are like, God, you know, everybody. And I'm like, Bill Rankin knows freaking everybody in the state of Georgia. The other thing I love, and this isn't related to the sourcing or whatever, but I just love that Bill Rankin is giving credit to the other reporters that are getting information. He'd be like, Rebecca Lavoie got this uh, information through a Freedom of Information Act or so-and-so found this information. So he credits everybody on his team that is getting information. And I kind of just loved that part. It made me want to work with Bill Rankin. Yeah. So, Toby, there's a big uh, question here that I actually have some confusion about because a couple of the experts especially near the end of the podcast, seem to think that doesn't matter as much, but there's a whole episode about it, which is intent, right? Did President Trump intend for the Secretary of State to do something illegal when he said, you need to find me 11,000 votes? Is it Was his intent to say, even if the count is right, you still need to find me 11,000 votes? Or was his intent to say, I think something's really wrong here and I want you to investigate, right? But then later in the podcast, we sort of hear like, well, he's using threatening language. He's saying things could really go bad for you, things, whatever. And the call violated the law because he interfered with elections. So intent doesn't matter, right? So there is this big question of intent. It's a strange question for me only because this is the kind of crime where it matters, but it doesn't matter in a bunch of other crimes. Like if I give you drugs and you die, whether or not I intended you for to die or not, doesn't seem to matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about that big question? The, all these issues are really complicated, I think. And I think they do a nice job of teasing out like why they're complicated and why it's going to be hard to prosecute, even if you feel like it seems fairly obvious that he was trying to interfere. You know, one of the things I think that is difficult with Trump in particular is that in this kind of thing about demonstrating intent is that he talks with so much hyperbole and so imprecisely that things that he says that seem threatening or seem as though they are trying to get you to do a certain thing. I think it's easy to look back on stuff he said in the past and be like, look, he was not freaking serious when he said this, which sounds pretty much like what he's saying right there. So I, it does seem like, and I think they, they kind of allude to it, although not in this exact terms, but that Trump is, he, he's so sort of undisciplined in his speech that the expectation would be like, even if it sounded that way, that's probably more a product of his lack of discipline than any intent that he actually has to try and coerce or threaten or whatever. That's just the way this kind of weird way that he speaks. I'm not saying that I agree with that assessment, but I think that's something that the prosecutors are looking at as being this hurdle. We have to come that defense lawyers are going to be able to just be like, look, this is the way he talks, you know, but people should know by now that it's more of a way of speaking than it is like an actual criminal act. But Kevin, what if his way of speaking is just that he does criminal acts all the time and we've just gotten used to it? So it's like, can this possibly also be criminal? Because isn't he just committing criminal acts all the time? Well, that can't possibly be true that he's doing criminal stuff. When I listen to this and you listen to the call and then you compare that call with the tweets about all the stuff around the election, which is just not true. And the interference is real. Like you cannot deny that these people did have a conspiracy to overturn a democratically done election, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. is what happened. Whether or not you're a Democrat or Republican, those are the facts. That is what happened. It is very, very difficult to say like, well, that's just the way he talks, right? Because he is part of a conspiracy to overturn a democratically done election. Yeah. And also, like over the years, the problem has been that he is the president Mm -hmm. and that that affords him uniquely some kinds of legal protections. So he's always going to be able to say, you can't charge me because I am slash was the president. And even if you could, I didn't really mean it. Talk about like moving the goalposts as far as, you know, nobody's above the law. But, you know, someone pointed out in the in the podcast, they use the example of the hurricane 
Remember the time the hurricane was coming and he said he listed the states that it was going to hit and included Alabama. Yeah. But that wasn't what the weather service did. So he pulled out a map that he showed everybody and he used his Sharpie to extend the little, little cone, the little cone to cut, to cover a part of, uh, of Alabama. And everybody's like, well, what the hell? You know, it was very obvious what he did. Everybody knows it was him. But in the, in the podcast, they're playing it off like, yeah, he does crazy things. Did he believe that? No, he didn't actually believe that. He knew that he was wrong and he did this because he could deny it, but it also would prove him right. Right. And so if you want to say that's a character flaw, whatever, if you want to say that that's politically untenable or politically savvy, whatever, but from a legal standpoint, it's like you can't just say, um, I didn't know that was wrong. Ignorance of the law is not defensive of it. And to say, well, I didn't have any criminal intent when I asked people to do these things. It's a, it's a cheap excuse. Yeah. And we'll see if they buy it. I think it's, what's interesting about this whole thing is this is happening on the state level. Yeah. County level. But state laws as opposed to the federal level. Because there's all these protections built in for him at the federal level and ways that he can manipulate the system and whatnot. But at the state level, he can't run for president and then give himself a pardon for a state crime. But it also we have to also look beyond just President Trump and all the other people around him, the Giuliani's and the all the fake electors and everybody else, Lindsey Obsequious Graham and all those assholes. I, I didn't mean assholes. All those people <laughs> about, you know. You meant assholes. I meant assholes, yeah. In this instance, I think it's okay to characterize yeah. them that way. It's not yeah. political. It's their actions here, right? Yeah. I do love the takedown they did on breakdown of Lindsey Graham and his argument about, oh, I'm uh, protected speech because I was doing my uh, constitutional duty. Duty, yes, as a legislator, <laughs> I'm protected by this from the, clause from the Judiciary Committee. No, what's protected speech is what you say on the floor of Congress. Yeah. The Supreme Court said that there could be no questioning of a senator or his aide, except as it proves relevant to investigating possible third-party crime. Possible third-party crime. Concerning any act in itself, not criminal, performed by the senator or by his aides in the course of their employment in preparation for the subcommittee here. So seems like it's tailored for your investigation. Otherwise, again, it's sort of like, oh, well, that means that everything I ever say is protected. It's like, go get bent. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Chapter One, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. All right, so Kevin, it's that time. I think it's time for you to do your business. It's time for the business section. Sounds like an insurrection, Rebecca, that <laughs> just taking over. How about I just take over? How about you just plow in and do your business? All right. On Patreon right now, it's uh, August, and so that means it's time to bring back Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Yay! Toby, tell us the title that you are going to be discussing next time. It's uh, When the Moon Turns to Blood by crime writers on favorite Leah Satilli. Oh, again, it's about <laughs> the theme of this fucking episode. Yes. Yeah, it's about... Very uplifting. Yeah, again. Yeah, it's it's about... Actually, if you listen to Mommy Doomsday, it's the same story. It's about a Mormon sort of fundamentalist... Uh, Anti-government. You know, doomsday, yeah. anti-government couple. Cult. Um, Cult. 
cult. You can throw a whole lot of uh, adjectives their way and their disappeared children. And joining me to discuss this is going to be Amber Hunt, Yay. Janet Varney, Yay. and Sarah D. Bunting. All-star panel. All-star panel. It's going to be good. Gonna be surrounded by ladies. It's always ladies night at the uh, deep nice. dive. <laughs> always ladies night. Well, especially now that we've seen that picture of you in that podcast with a cat on your shoulder. You're going to be batting him away yeah. at the deep dive. <laughs> Beating him up with a stick, of course. It's going to be really hard, I'm sure. All right, so Kevin, what else do we have coming up? Well, we've got two appearances out in public I want to talk to you about. Later this month, we're going to be having a little get-together with listeners in Dallas. Oh. So watch for details. It's going to be Friday night, August 26th. We're there in town for a convention, and we want to make some time for our Texas area fans. This is Rebecca and I. We'll buy you a drink. We will. You always yell at me when I buy everybody the drink. No. So we're going to do that. We're not going to buy two drinks. We okay. buy one drink. Okay. Yes. Well, it depends on how many people show and up. They've though. all got to share it. have to share the one well, drink. Kevin, yes. you're going to be so pissed if like the 40 people ball. show up and I do that thing where I'm like, I buy a round for everyone. But you are, you said it on the podcast. You said it. We are. Yeah, you I guess we're locked it. into it. You locked me in. We're also going to be appearing, Rebecca and I, we're going to be out in Columbus, Ohio for Obsessed Fest. We are. Yes. That's September 30th to October 2nd. We're going to be there. One of the things we'll be doing is we're going to be doing a live show of These Are Their Stories. And we're going to be helping Patrick and Jillian do all sorts of stuff with uh, True Crime Obsessed and the Obsessed Network. You can go to uh, their website, obsessednetwork.com, to get all the details and to get your tickets. Also want to let you know that, uh, speaking of These Are Their Stories, the latest episode will be coming out on Wednesday. And this is the episode of SVU where Carisi's niece says that she got raped, but she lied about getting raped. Yeah. And then she gets raped anyway. Yeah. And it's full of... Weirdness. Yeah. So full of Italians. Full of <laughs> a lot of Italian Unfortunately, anger. this whole dark storyline is just completely outweighed by the fact it's full of Italians being Italian. It's a very strange episode. But the podcast episode is great. We've got a great guest in Sarah Carradine, who's a longtime listener of this podcast from Down Under, who we love. And yeah. she was awesome on These Are Their Stories. All right, so Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Leslie Gray Forstman and Anne Chaya. Yay! Bless you. Anne Chaya. <gasps> Anne Chaya, yes. no way! That's right, our favorite chocolatier, Anne Chaya. She finally got picked to be our Patreon patron saint of the week. All right, so Kevin, does that send the business section? Thus ends. Thus ends. The business section. The business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. Okay, so Laura, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis uh, finds herself in a really unusual situation. However, she has actually used RICO statutes before in prosecuting complicated cases. Now, I know that the teacher prosecution uh, is a controversial one. However, it is complicated and it was unprecedented. So one could argue that she is uh, as unlikely as it is for this to be successful. She is uniquely qualified for it to potentially be successful. Right. So I, I love her, by the way, as I was listening to this, I was I was just so curious about her that I went on the Atlanta Journal-Constitution website and I read this like in-depth profile and I just she is so interesting. So, yeah, like you mentioned, she made her name sort of in this Atlanta public schools cheating trial back in 2014. And, you know, that was racketeering, which I don't think of teachers and racketeering, but at the time that, that was what happened. And it was teachers that were being accused of correcting standardized test answers. And, you know, she stood by that. But what I loved is there was somebody that had worked on the opposite side of the courtroom as her, who called her basically a street fighter in the courtroom. And I was like, Ooh, a street fighter in the courtroom. So she's she's obviously, if anybody's going to succeed, she's got this like very unique background. Like um, Kevin in our last newsletter was like, and Laura was out like using her spy skills in the horse auction. Well, Fawny was on Saturday mornings going along with her father, who was an attorney and used to be a Black Panther, going out with him as he defended clients who had been arrested the evening before. So she's got a really interesting background. But also talk about the pressure. I mean, the eyes of the entire 
nation slash world are upon her. And basically whatever she does is going to be questioned over and over and over and over again. And it's going to be interesting to see how, as this continues to play out, she is able to hold the line and maintain. But her background is so interesting. I mean, I, I just like... I love that. The Black Panther father lawyer taking her to the court on Saturday mornings. I'm like, I used to watch cartoons on Saturday morning in the horse barn when like my mom worked there because we didn't have electricity. So that's like when I got to watch cartoons and she got to watch the courtroom drama, you know, Mm. so uh, very interesting. But there's no denying, Toby, that she is a political figure in addition to being a figure in the criminal justice system. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just a lot of interesting stuff, but um, I think they mentioned it as a sort of addendum at the end of one of the episodes. And I actually, I was reading about it in maybe the Washington post or something where, uh, one of the people that she was a target who I think was member of the Georgia Senate, maybe one of the false electors, um, that she can't go after him now because she held a fundraiser Mm. for his opponent. Yeah. Uh, in the race, I think for Lieutenant governor, which just seems like a, a crazy mistake to make. Yeah. I mean, I can almost see her with all this stuff going on being like, Oh yeah, we got to do this for this guy, you know, or whatever. But somebody should have been like, uh, hold on a second. Like, this is a reason why you shouldn't do it. Like, I'm just surprised it happened, but I agree with Laura. I think she's interesting. I also think she's interesting in relationship to what she represents to Trump. You know, they do have Trump, talking about these racist prosecutors yep. who are after them. And yep. it's, it's, it's Fonnie Wilson and it's the uh, black woman who's the attorney general in New York. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere. It's I know you are, but what am I? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's infuriating. Um, it's the biggest t- tell he has in his vernacular. Right. Is that he always says the thing that he actually is, he actually means about himself. Like he, that is like his vernacular tell whenever he goes off script. It's like, I will say something about somebody else that I am actually feeling. Like that's like, I, it's just a very interesting thing about the way that he communicates that I think if we're not used to it by now, like we should right. be. <laughs> like that's just. I, you know, it's it's one of the things that, again, thinking about this while I was listening to it, I was like, it wasn't that long ago that this election happened. And then when Trump wasn't willing to concede and then was like throwing out these wild allegations and having Giuliani and Clea Mitchell and these people making these wild allegations. And at the time, just being absolutely unsurprised that this would happen, despite the fact that it's absolutely unique in American history and against all sort of norms of our elections and then that people fell in behind it, like yep. people who know better, like made a sort of career calculation about it. And I, I, I'm sure there are people who sincerely believe this, but those aren't the people that we're, we're following in this podcast, right? right these right. are people who should know better and are using these. These are people who do know better. Yeah, no, no, exactly. These it. are people who know better, yeah. who are using these accusations for political gain, knowing that they're false. And I think that the podcast does a good job of pretty consistently saying that these allegations are false. These claims are false or whatever that these people are trying to use for their political advantage. This was a setup, Toby. I mean, before the election, months before the election, President Trump said, if we lose, it's going to be because there was fraud. This was a plan. This was not a spontaneous idea that on election day, wow, we lost. There must have been fraud. This was a plan. This was a plan that was cooked up by these folks a long time before for the this was the plan for if they lost, this is what they were going to do. There is documentation that shows this was a plan and this is what's coming out now. None of them, except for maybe President Trump, because, you know, as as the podcast talks about people around him believe that, like, maybe he believes these things. None of these lawyers think that the election was stolen. They don't think it. This is a tactic that they are using to try to set precedent 
to overthrow the democracy. That is what is actually happening here. They're tactics. It's all in writing, as you can see now with these like Eastman letters that are coming out and stuff. Emails with emojis. Yeah, they're literally <laughs> saying, we shouldn't call them fake electors. That's not good language. Let's call them alternate electors, right? Because they know that they're fake. They use the yeah. word fake electors in their communications. It's it's really fascinating that we watched this train coming down the tracks and then we were pretended to be surprised when it happened. So, Kevin, there was an episode in this podcast that I as my, I really liked it as, a, as an episode of uh, journalism, but it also made me very upset. <laughs> I also felt dread and inevit- inevitability and also, you know, resigned, make me feel resigned. And I believe it was episode four, which basically explained why... Nothing is likely to happen as a result of these grand jury proceedings. There's so many obstacles. It could get kicked into federal court, right? Or the money on the other side of this could just delay it forever. And then there could be a new political turnover. And the next prosecutor could just say, oh, fuck it. We're not going to do this just like happened in New York. Uh, There's like a million outcomes um, in terms of the the Trump indictment, especially. But there are other people who could be indicted as a result of this, right? Yeah. I mean, just politics aside for a second, this story isn't unlike other crime stories that we've covered where defendants have money and what that means, the way they're able to use the system. They can work it. They can appeal to delay and then appeal after losing. The wild card here has always been that the defendant, if the defendants wait long enough, some politician will grant them a full state or federal pardon, right? That's what they're playing for. You can't run out the clock, but you're going to just keep delaying, delaying, delaying until somebody rides in on a white horse and gives us another get out of jail free card, because that's what during that administration, what the guy at the top was doing, dangling these get out of jail free cards through pardons. But you're right. President Trump obstructed justice. He is in charge because Mueller doesn't think he has the authority. He abuses power and obstructs Congress. He gets impeached, but not removed. He incites an insurrection where people are killed in the Capitol and gets impeached, but not removed. So this pattern is that he'll get the tag, but not the punishment because of all these things, because of his ability to delay and obfuscate and just claim immunity from any kind of responsibility. I think the best we're going to get in Georgia is an indictment. And again, there'll be appeals and it'll never go to court. But I think an indictment is a win. Hmm. What about an indictment of Giuliani? How would you feel? Oh, those guys, those guys, (laughs) they should all. Yeah, they're all, you know, a lot of Nixon's people went to jail. Nixon got pardoned. But a lot of those guys went to jail, whether it was for six months or four years or whatever. And I think a lot of those guys, those fake electors, those other people, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, I think a lot of those guys, someone's got to swing and it's going to be them. Yeah. Toby, what did you think about the scene where we hear the journalist walking into the state house to cover the certification of the electors and happening upon the secret certification of the fake electors and the people being like, no, 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 we're just... We're just doing a super secret uh, double ceremony here where we're just practicing opening our, session. a box of our Girl Scout cookies or whatever <laughs> the fuck it was he's out there doing. Samoas or Thin Mints? Greg is rushing to cover the actual electoral college vote when he stumbles upon this meeting. I really did not think there was going to be a phony slate. Kind of peek in to see what was happening. And um, someone at the door said, oh, we're just having an educational meeting. And I'll never forget that. I was like, okay. Yeah, it's buffoonery. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like something from a bad movie. Um, part of this whole thing is just how kind of rinky dink and, uh, you know, sort of half ass so much of it is, but with deadly serious consequences, obviously. I just kept thinking, can you imagine if a single one of these people were black? Yeah. Like, all of these people are white. And, and like, the privilege is just like unbelievable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the same people, like, if Joe Biden had made a call like that, would be. F- losing their minds oh, yeah. you know oh, yeah. uh, so it's you know i don't want to get well it's too late it's hard to talk about this without getting super political <laughs> mm-hmm. because but it's not it's this is not political these are the facts it is not right. this is the thing the thing that makes me crazy more than anything else in the, the discourse and the journalism of the past few years is when people describe this conversation as political or when they describe our country as divided, when they're talking about this in particular, right? This is not division. This is a takeover by a radical minority. This is not a difference between people voting Democrat and people voting Republican. 
This is a coup attempt of people who want to overthrow our democracy. This is not political. It is a crisis, right? See, well, I mean, I think the only thing I would say about it being political or not is that I think one of the issues that we have as a country is that we have different news ecosystems Mm. and people take what they believe to be, quote unquote, the truth from whatever news they're watching, right? I mean, that's how you find out about this stuff. Like, I, I don't have a personal line into these things. I read about it from sources I trust and because the sources I trust are not what somebody who would disagree with me about like what was going on in the election trusts. We're working off different sets of what we consider to be facts. And there's no such thing as considering something to be facts. There are facts and there are things that are not facts. Right. But the point, I guess the point is, is that, that when you're arguing with somebody who has a different idea of what the facts are, it's very difficult to come to any kind of resolution because you're not interpreting the same facts, right? You're not arguing around the same things. It's like if, if I thought, you know, Kobe Bryant scored 30 points one year and LeBron James scored 28, then I'd be like, well, Kobe won the scoring title. But if you thought LeBron scored 30 and and Kobe scored 28, you'd be like, well, LeBron, no, LeBron won it. And it's just, it's at that level of dispute for some people, not the people who are in this podcast, I think, because I think most of those people know that the arguments that they're making have no merit, but lots and lots of people who are listening, getting their news from OAN, Newsmax, Fox, what they understand to be the reality behind the election is is just different, right? I mean, I'd I'm not saying that they're well, right. Well, you're never going to win. What I'm saying is you're never going to win the argument, Toby. That's what you're saying. Right. Well, yeah. It's not a real argument. That's what makes it's, a, it... it's a bad faith argument. It's not an argument. It's a bad faith argument. I guess I, as I'm listening to what Toby's saying, like I know people in my own life that might not be agreeing with me. And, and I don't even bother discussing because it's pretty clear cut when you listen to this. But- to some people, no matter how clear cut it is, it's never going to be that way. So, but I thought what was interesting about this is that they took a step back from that sort of charged area of this debate to do what they have done in other podcasts. What are the elements of the crime? What do you need to prove the elements of the crime? Can we prove the elements of the crime? Here's the evidence we have to meet each element of this crime. Here's what so, the statute says the crime would yes. be. Yes. So when you listen to that, they, they, but they, and they do it. And even though I'm getting enraged, that nice Bill Rankin way. So if you listen to it, you're like, mm, yeah, okay. But at the same time, I guess in my head, as I'm listening to it, I'm always thinking, you know what? Even though they are being so like just factual and accurate and fair and journalistic, there are people that are still going to listen to this and say it's bullshit. Well, I know we keep saying like, well, we don't want to get into politics and how can we tell the story? Look, trying to get politics out of this story is like trying to remove wetness from water. You can't do it. Right. But we talk about true crime. This is true crime. This is a political true crime story, right? We've done sports, true crime. We've done Hollywood, true crime. We've done all different kinds of variations on the theme this is another variation. There's politics in a lot of the true crime we do, too, just in terms of the criminal justice system. Right. Well, Diffuse you know, the social politics. issue. But yes. I mean, as far as election politics. OK, boom. Here we go. I mean, we had something similar in the Improvement Association. Here we're getting actually a little more literal. But if, if we don't discuss it, then we're not ever going to be able to do anything about it. True. So as painful as it is. And while people may come to this with bad faith or with the inability to see what facts are as opposed to what feels like it's probably right until we can get to that place. And maybe we're just going to be talking to each other, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't come to agree on what's what. Shouldn't Bill just come in here, though, and sue this all? I think let's play a little bit of Bill's voice. And, and we'll all just take a little bit of a breather, shall we? Here we go. It says Jones and the other 15 potential targets are being investigated for participating in the creation of a document that identified them as, quote, duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president. And that document was submitted to the National Archives. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Breakdown Season 9, The Trump Grand Jury? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this season of Breakdown? So this is kind of a weird split vote for me. I love Breakdown. I love the reporting in Breakdown. This is an extremely thorough look at the case. What I'm going to say is some of us, and sometimes me, have heard our fill of the Trump grand jury. So if you have already reached the point where you're needing to tune up from the news, you might, even though this is extremely well done, not want to listen to this. However, if you want to know the nuances and specific details of every little thing that's happening in Georgia from a team on the ground that already has, you know, sources in place for years, a deep knowledge of the state, the players, the system, and a trust from those people. So they're getting the full story. This is a really good listen in that regard. I mean, it is it is covering this from beginning to end, from top to bottom. It has got everything that you need to know to understand what is happening in this case. But I'm kind of at the point where sometimes when stuff like this comes on the news, I'm like, I can't take anymore. So I, I tune out. But that's just a personal thing. It's like, that's just sort of like a, okay, I've had enough of listening to the aftermath of Trump. But how can you not listen to Bill Rankin? So I, it's a thumbs up for me, but I, I just say, again, it's your personal preference of how much can you take in about the current state of some of the things that are happening in this country. And that sort of comes into play as to whether you want to listen to this. Toby Ball. Yeah, I think this is a uh, a very sort of sober look at you know, what's going on in Georgia. And I think by extrapolation, what's what's going on with our country in some ways, it's very complicated in some ways it's not, but I think they do a really good job of showing what are the hurdles that are, are being faced. Like, even if you kind of accept the prosecutor's story, which I do, there are hurdles faced to, to making the legal case. And some of that has to do with the, with the station of the president. And some of it has to do with the law and the things that you need to prove in order to be able to bring an indictment or get a conviction or so on. So it's complicated. I think they do a very good job of walking you through it. There's no bells and whistles. It's very focused. I found it easy to follow. And it's, you know, it's really important. It may be the most important thing that's going on right now. Uh, so it's, it's a big thumbs up for me. I, I think it's I think it's excellent. Kevin Flynn. I'm also going thumbs up. I think obviously there is a difficulty in telling a story when much of what is happening is being done behind closed doors. And so you're waiting for something to creep out. Maybe you can, you know, shake the trees a little bit and collect something that you can put in the podcast. It feels a little bit like all the pregame news packages they have, like before the Super Bowl or right before the Olympic uh, skiers come down. Right. But it's very thorough. We always have a lot of respect for Bill Rankin. His co-host, Tamar Hellerman, does a great job, too. She brings a, a really great perspective. They make a good team, and it's enraging. But I think that this is a good perspective on this part of a much larger story. It's a local story to them, and that's what you're getting. You're getting that kind of detail. So, you know, maybe this is not going to be the thing that's going to drop every Monday, but you know when some news comes out, They will be there with a follow-up episode to bring you a deeper dive. There's certainly more here 
in this reporting than they would put in a uh, typical newspaper article. So not quite the same kind of breakdown that we've seen in the previous eight seasons, but this is still worth your time. Thumbs up. Thumbs up for me, too, but for slightly different reasons. Okay, first of all, this podcast is dry. Let's just be real. This is a very straight reported podcast, right? This is not like, you know, pineapple podcast. This is not like a sexy ass podcast. It is a dry, straight reported podcast. It is very, very strong and very good. What I like about it is that the only thing I've ever heard about this Georgia grand jury is mostly from like television news reports. And I've seen like headlines about it, like in the Washington Post or whatever. And from what I've seen, it could be like a big deal. It could be this. It could be that. I now understand it really freaking well. And I understand now it could be nothing. I also understand why if it's something, it has to overcome a lot of hurdles to be something. I also understand that this, it's not the grand jury's job to do an indictment. They're just making a recommendation, right? They're writing a report. Like that's what they're doing. Like this grand jury isn't doing what I think we think that they're doing. They're actually doing a much like, they're doing a lot of pre-work so that this prosecutor basically can decide what to do. Like they're giving her political cover for what her next step is going to be. Like that is what it's for. This grand jury is not the end all be all that's going to like put people, you know, in jail or like, you know, get them. That's just not what it's for. And I think that the headlines before this have made it sound more extreme. And I actually really appreciated getting to understand that and also really understanding what happened politically on the ground in Georgia which I also didn't fully understand. I had heard the phone call. I didn't fully understand what happened in the legislature. I didn't fully understand what happened after the phone call. There's a lot of very, very thorough reporting here that I really appreciated. And I want to say one more thing. In the wake of what happened with APM's cancellation of In the Dark and their claim that that thing was not monetizable or sustainable, I am thrilled to hear the Atlanta Journal-Constitution monetizing this podcast, making a ninth season of it, and using this podcast as a platform to promote their other journalism. Thank you, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, for continuing to stand behind this reporting and audio format, continuing to stand behind your reporter, and continuing to make this podcast. So thumbs up for me for Breakdown Season 9. I think it's excellent. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call... The crime Crime of of the week. week. A Belgian farmer is squealing about what happens when he plays music for his pigs. He first noticed something when, while during an uninspired insemination session, the sows got excited when his son sang to them. Later, he played different kinds of music in the barn to gauge their reactions. He says they wiggle their tails and frolic when they hear dance music and get sleepy when he plays a lullaby. With all the attention on curing cancer, COVID, and climate change, it's surprising that no scientists have thought to study the effects of music stylings on pigs. Some researchers have secured about 76,000 euro to do just that. This pork barrel project may have a real payoff. If they can prove music helps relieve stress in livestock, it might improve the quality of the meat. All right, panel, let's get this pig pile started. What music would you play for these little porkers? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I would play the peppier version of Sexual Healing. (laughs) And in case you didn't know, there is a peppier version. There is. Is there really? And I have a dance to it. All right. Well, that's Uh. good to know, Laura Bricker. That I'll do for the pigs to help them with their situation. What do you think, Toby? (laughs) What music would you play for these little porkers? Uh, I'm not sure why, but I think I would play I'm Too Sexy, um, <laughs> but I, I don't have a dance for that. Nice. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, the electric slide. Really? Let's How see come? him go sideways and backwards. And <laughs> I think it's better than Cotton Eye Joe, right? That's the hustle. Oh, oh yeah. I like the hustle. Mm-hmm. That's what I would oh, do. Yeah. You wouldn't do how it's deep electric. Is... Pookie, wookie, wookie. I would do How Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees. I think that song is hot. <laughs> it's a 10. 10 out of 10. Toby hates my taste That's sort of lullaby-ish, so I think. I think it would put them to sleep. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for, for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, we have a dog just for you, Rebecca. Yay, my favorite animal. This is very exciting. Um, this relates to my quaint AF town, Exeter, New Hampshire. The Exeter Police Department has made a positive addition to the police force. A comfort dog oh, is joining the ranks the for the first time. Ah, I see. 
And is a dog that they bring in when they have like children or people that have gone through trauma to have sort of have there when they're talking to them about something that's difficult. Anyway, this is a four month old chocolate lab. It's going to be trained under the guidance of Hero Pups, which is an organization in the next town over that pair support dogs with veterans yep. and first responders. And so this is going to be the first comfort dog placed with a police department on the seacoast of New Hampshire. Um, right now, it doesn't have a name. So if you have a name for the very adorable little chocolate lab, four-month-old adorable chocolate lab, not that we have any say, but we might have some say. Um, I just think it's awesome. And I love any time that we can. I mean, animals, I just think are such a source of support. And I appreciate that they're bringing this very adorable little puppy in. It's so cute. I appreciate it too. Hero Pups is actually a wonderful organization. I had lunch with somebody recently who funds that organization. And I, will t- I learned all about it. And I got to say, great work that they do. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and pimp their pup to be cat of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Lara Bricker. I'm a big fan of when it's dogs, obviously. Of course, you can email us, your cats, dogs, or any animal to be cat of the week at crimewritersonit at gmail.com. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you or just follow you. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just find that and hit join the group and we'll let you in if you're nice. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is the handsome Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we call Apple and ask them to find us 11,780 more listeners. That's one more than we need. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.